There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another installment of Pole Position on History Hack. Alina, who have you brought forth today? Today we have a good friend of mine who is coming to talk to us uh, about the tango in Poland. Juliet Breton is a freelance journalist and a researcher into uh, Polish interwar music. You can find her articles on culture.pl, Notes from Poland and various other online uh, magazines. So hi, Juliet. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Oh, whereabouts are you and how is lockdown? So I'm in Lincolnshire, mm-hmm. so eastern England, so quite rural. Um, and I'm liking being rural because I feel like it's safer. And it's just, I mean, I, w- I was living in London before this and I just decided to come back here, back back to my family home because I thought, you know, it's so much safer out of the city. But yeah, I mean, it's okay. It's kind of the boredom setting in, I think now. And I just, it's that feeling of not being able to go anywhere. Or like, you know, you get an hour's exercise a day and that's it. And it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, you you know what it's like. It's just, it's a strange time. It feels a bit dystopian. Yeah, we just said when everybody finally has to go back and fill their days again, um, I think we're all going to collapse under the weight of everything we're expected mm-hmm. to do. We've got so used to doing nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, all the days are merging into one at the moment. You sort of wake up and then... The next thing you know, it's evening again. I, I don't know what day, what day are we actually on? Is it is it Monday? I don't know anymore. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good to keep busy, though. I think when when all this is going on, you have to have that distraction, don't you? Exactly, exactly. But listen, we are here to talk about the tango. But we are indeed. Is this drink. is this some of your code words for World War Two, or have you actually gone away from World War Two? Do you know what? We have gone away from World War II and it's actually amazing, isn't it? Because, uh, Juliet, what you don't know is Alex gave me an earful over the weekend. <laughs> or actually more last week. And she goes, look, Alina, all we're doing at the moment is World War II. You need to get out of the World War II bubble. So I said, fine, we will find something else. So now we're actually going into the 1920s. But we're not talking about fang- uh, Tango the Drink. But we're talking about tangos and the dance and the music. So can you tell us a little bit more about the music of tango? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tango is this beautiful dance. It's very sensuous, um, sexy, kind of rich dance. But it also veers into that sort of dark and dangerous territory as well. So it came from Argentina, from the sort of lower classes and a very urban background as well. But then in the 20s and the 30s, this is tango's golden age. Um, And this is where it it turns from being kind of lower class dance to something more glamorous and more sort of sophisticated. But all of these songs still have that underlying violence and threat 
danger to them. So it's really kind of intoxicating, intoxicating sound. Excellent. Um, so how does it come to Poland and when? So this all fits in with Tango's golden age in the kind of 20s and 30s. So it comes to Poland, first of all, in around about 1912. But then it never really takes on because obviously you've got the First World War, you've got Poland fighting to regain independence. But then when Poland does regain independence, that when, that's when this kind of really takes hold. Um, and in the 1920s, you kind of, obviously, we all know about the Great Gatsby, this sort of decadence, um, people partying, that kind of thing. And that's when it begins to really take hold in Poland as well, because there are so many talented musicians who are working at the time. Um, and a lot of them have classical backgrounds um, and a lot of them are Jewish. So they've got Jewish musical backgrounds as well. But they come together and they listen to this new sound coming from from America, mainly like foxtrots and, and tangos as well. And they sort of they write their own music um, and it becomes this, it really, really sticks in Poland. People just don't know about it because when you say tango, you think about, you know, Argentina, you, you think about the kind of um, South American sort of, sort of countries. You don't really think about it taking hold in, in, in Poland, but it does because it's this romanticized kind of sentimental genre and it plays into those sentimental trends that were in music at the time. Um, so as I was saying, it, it really takes hold in the 20s. 1929 is the big year for, for tango. It's, this is when the big hit happens. It's called Tango Milonga. Um, and this was written in 1929. It gets translated into English and basically sung all across the world um, as O'Donna Clara. So still a very popular hit today. Um, but then there were so many hits. There were thousands and thousands um, of these songs. And as the, the period moved in the 20s into the 30s, tango becomes really different to how it was in Argentina. So it becomes more kind of melancholic, more vulnerable. The melody is a bit slower. You have these anguished sounds of violins and later on Hawaiian guitar, which pervade the music as well. Um, and the singers, you have, you know, these, these singers singing about heartbreak and devastation, and it, it turns into almost a kind of lamenting sound. So very, very different um, to the original, but it's still this really, really breathtaking um, music. And I'm, I'm completely in love with it. I've never heard anything like it before. You can always check out Juliet's Twitter because she's always posting something <laughs> about uh, about the tango or a song or something from YouTube. So if you're on it, we'll, we'll plug your uh, account in a moment. But the tango was obviously popular, right? We've established that. How did it actually influence day-to-day -day life in Poland during the 20s and 30s? So tango quickly becomes like the most popular genre. And it's all tied into how the 20s is this kind of spending culture, consumerist culture. People are wanting to buy and spend money. Um, and also they're wanting to be a bit more sexy, a bit more daring. So that's why it, it, kind, of, it kind of plugs into that, that trend as well. Um, but it influences day-to-day -day life in, in various ways. So not just simply people wanting to spend money on records, people wanting to you know, flock to the cabarets, but also the musicians as well behind this music. So as I mentioned before, there were loads of Jewish musicians who maybe they face discrimination in other areas of life, but particularly in, in somewhere like cabaret, where you're sort of upending hierarchies and you know making fun of traditions that's where Jewish musicians could really you know they they could have fun and they could play these songs and write these most beautiful pieces um so it's, it's sort of a, on a social level it has an impact on a kind of consumerist level it has an impact as well um so yeah it's, it's sort of pervading the whole of of cultural outputs output in, in the era really um 
Jerzy Petersburski, who was he and what influence does he have on the Polish tango? So he's probably the most popular, most well-known proponent of tango. And he was the one who wrote that very famous hit in 29, uh, Tango Milonga. But he also wrote thousands of other tangos as well. And he was a classical musician trained in classical music. But as this period moved into the, the 1920s, he realised that popular music was obviously going to be more, more lucrative. So he starts writing popular songs. Um, and with his cousins, who I'll mention a bit later, they were the most popular dance orchestras at the time. So they would play in these amazing settings. And one of them was a cafe called the Adria, which was in Warsaw, central Warsaw. And the building still exists today. Obviously, it's not as it was. Um, and the Adria had this revolving dance floor that people could, could dance on, dance the tango on. And it had an American cafe garden. It was, you know, this really opulent opulent place to to go um and so yeah Petersburski played there and then he was writing all of these songs he wrote um another famous one Jella, or the last sunday which is still very popular today um and and countless others as well do you know what this cafe sounds absolutely incredible why do we not recreate it i know this is what i want to do Literally, if I win the lottery, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that, do you know what, Alex? You and I are definitely going to Warsaw and I'm going to dance with you on that dance floor. How would you Excellent. think about that idea? I think um, <laughs> I'm slightly worried you're going to have two left feet. I do have two left feet. What is the problem with that? <laughs> None whatsoever. Anyway, as long as people are judging back. me on your dancing standards. <laughs> that's fine. That is not a problem. I can deal with that. But listen, what actually happens to him? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so Petersburg, he has this very, very successful career in the 20s and the 30s. And then obviously when the war happens, he goes into the Soviet Union. He performs with one of his cousins um, and they, they carry on composing. And then he travels with the Anders Army through the Middle East um, and ends up settling in, in South America and Argentina post-war. So he goes back to the home of tango. Um, and then he returns to Poland later on in life. But his career, his heyday, really is, is only in the 20s and 30s. And of course, everything changes post-war. Um, we spoke about Pietrzebski and his family. Um, can you tell us more about the Gold Brothers and their fate? So the, the Gold Brothers were Pietrzebski's two famous cousins. So they were called Henrik and Arthur Gold. Um, and they were also making this popular music a lot of these tangos were their compositions um, and they basically saw this this foothold their foothold was using the kind of romantic motifs but also their kind of klezmer jewish backgrounds the classical training that they had and making these really you know heartbreaking gloomy tangos so that was their niche um, and petersbursky and uh, the Gold Brothers, they would play in the little orchestra. They were the ones who would play in the Adria. They even, they were so popular that they even had songs written about them because they were just, they were these songs that were written about how when they would play, um, you won't sleep until the break of day, that kind of thing. So they were immensely, immensely popular musicians. Um, and basically the, the Gold Brothers, Henrik Gold was a little bit luckier, as in he, he was the one who went with Petersburgsky across the Soviet Union um, and then survived the war. But Arthur Gold wasn't, and he uh, was deported to Treblinka. And the story goes that he was forced to perform some of the tangos that he'd been composing, dressed as a clown before he was killed. 
Um, so, and there were there were so many stories like this where you know these talented musicians were the, the, the tragic ends that happened, and it's 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 utterly heartbreaking. That's, um, I don't know really what to say. I wanted to make a comment there, but I, I just can't. After after yeah. hearing that, where he was dressed up just to just for entertainment purposes, yeah, mm-hmm. is just heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. But moving on to a few couple of other musicians. So we have Andre Wast, and mm-hmm. what can you tell us more about him and his impact? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So he was like um, a powerhouse of popular culture. So his nickname was the King of Trash because he just produced song after song after song. He was a lyricist, so he was the one writing these beautiful songs, writing the lyrics to them. Um, and he would work with Petersburg, with the Gold Brothers, with other musicians. But he quickly realised that to make a hit, a kind of popular song that everyone would be listening to, it didn't really matter what the lyrics said. What mattered was the music. So he would just write like the most banal, sentimental songs, but they would become really, really popular because they were just what people wanted to hear. People wanted that popular culture. Um, so yeah, he was producing thousands of songs. He was um, like a, he was almost like a businessman, really, because he had his own publishing house. He was also directed um, one of the cabarets in Warsaw, um, and just writing these beautiful songs. I mean, it's kind of like schmaltzy sort of songs, but really, really um, fantastic hits. Um, and yeah, he, he was uh, one of these fantastic musicians, also a Jewish background as well. So um, he, he was certainly one of the key players at the time. Um, but what happened to him? So uh, whilst it was a similar um, story uh, to Arthur Gold, so he was imprisoned in the ghetto. There are various um, stories about what actually happened to him. It's kind of contested, but it's either that he was trying to escape, that fellow artists were trying to smuggle him out of the ghetto and he was shot, or he was in hiding, but he was getting increasingly panicky about people, you know, he was worried about the Germans, basically, and he ran out into the street and was shot, or he was deported. So there's no real answer to any of those questions, but he certainly also died in the war, was killed in the war. We've got quite tragic tragic stories here of the musicians, but Mm -hmm. I want to know, do you have anything that's positive? I want a positive story. So um, there are some musicians who were able to kind of continue their careers post-war. And one of them was Mitchell Fogg, who was, he was like the, the 
a very important crooner um, singer in the interwar period. He was voted like the most popular singer um, in 1937, I believe. Um, and he was producing hundreds of songs a year, singing them. And he survives the war. So at the start of the war, he gets together with another cabaret artist and they sing to all of the soldiers um, departing on the trains to the, to the battlefield, basically, and they sing on the platform. And then in the Warsaw Uprising, he does about... 100 um, performances in various places, sometimes under under gunfire. Um, and he gets sent the lyrics through the sewers and he has like a day to learn the lyrics to a song and then he'll perform. Um, and he was given, he recollects later that he was given gifts of like tomatoes and stuff like that from people because they had nothing else to give him. But they were so thankful to have, you know, this, this music um, and something to give them a little bit of joy. Uh, obviously a, a really, really, really tragic time. Um, and then he, so he's basically one of the only people who breaches that pre and post-war cultural output. So he's able to um, sing on and perform some of these songs. And he's kind of the reason why we still know a lot of these songs today, because so many of them, these beautiful tangos were just completely obliterated by the war the, the record companies were bombed and a lot of the records got lost a lot obviously a lot of the artists were killed so he's the only one who's kind of continuing this story so you just touched on it there um how culturally important was music to the polish people during the war so it, it does become you know really important and particularly fog's work as well um you know, he was he was there singing um, and kind of jolling people along. There are uh, reports of people who would go to his concerts and then they'd come out of the concerts and they'd say, you know, I, I felt like we were just back in that cultural kind of heyday in the 1920s and 1930s. Um, obviously, things in the 20s and 30s you know, certainly weren't like a golden age at all. But culturally, there was this very mature um, output and beautiful songs coming out of that period. So they would recollect they would think that like the war was it was almost that they'd go to his concert and the war just wouldn't exist anymore it would just be you know that they, they would just be swept up in this music um so yeah music does take on this very very important role i think as well particularly in the in the warsaw uprising um were any of these artists that you've been talking about did they transcend national fame did they were they popular outside poland yeah, for sure. I mean, this tango, Tango Milonga, which is um, 1929, that's the one that kind of really has an impact internationally. So it's sung in America, um, it's sung across Eastern Europe, and there were many others as well that ended up being performed all across the world. Um, Jerzy Petersburski, he was a favourite of some Russian singers at the time. Um, and then when Petersburski, uh, when post-war he kind of writes different songs he writes some songs in russian i believe there's one called the, the handkerchief or blue handkerchief i think it's called um which is very very popular as well so these were really really popular artists very talented artists and they if the war hadn't happened they quite possibly would have gone on um to have an impact on the global stage even more so than they did and one of um poland's poland's first actual uh, recording company which is called Sirena electro and this company was selling um, discs, selling records all across the world. And then in 1939, they just signed a contract with HMV or His Master's Voice um, to sell in, in England and in America. They were opening an agency in New York, but they never managed to open it because it, when, when the war happened, it was 
they were bombed and, and destroyed. So, so it's, it's tragic in that this music wasn't allowed to have that, that life that it could have done. It's definitely uh, something that's been culturally cut short, isn't it? And I, for me, this, this, this music could have gone on. I think it could have gone on to have a fantastic impact on, on the national stage, international stage. So we've spoken about the Second World War and the impact it's had, but what, how does it survive post-war? So Fogg is one of the main players in this. I've spoken about his, his massive impact, cultural impact. Um, but after the end of the Second World War, he establishes a cafe that he calls Cafe Fogg, in, literally in the ruins of Warsaw. Um, and even though they haven't got any electricity, he's still performing these songs. He says he wants to give joy to residents returning to the city, obviously, you know, a very, very heartbreaking time for everybody. Um, and he also establishes his own recording company called Fog Records. And it's quite funny because he, Fog was um, an avid car driver. He loved cars. So if you look at the logo for Fog Records, it's the same font as the logo for the Ford cars, which were his favorite brand of car. Um, so <laughs> so he, did, he sets up this recording company and it's in his bedroom in his house. And he's got like from floor to ceiling, he's got this woolen um, cladding to stop um, you know, the kind of feedback. And he is trying to issue as many records as he can. Some of them are these pre-war tangos. Some of them are more modern um, or at the time uh, contemporary hits. Um, but then that's closed down by the Soviets as well. So while he helps to promote this genre and while these tangos do survive, to a certain extent, it's never the same as it was before the war. Is there still a, a culture of the tango in Poland today? Um, so it's not to the same extent as it was. So tango was very, very kind of all pervasive in uh, the 20s and the 30s. It was everywhere. Whereas now, I mean, yes, there are people like tank dancing milongas and, and that kind of thing, but it's never, never going to be the same as it was. Um, but it is still being kept alive today and there are still quite a few bands that are playing, you know, on, on the streets of Warsaw and in theatres that are playing this music and trying to revive it. Um, and I, I think that that's, I think that's amazing that, you know, it's nearly a hundred years since, well, it's a hundred years since Tango first came to Poland um, and nearly a hundred years since obviously it's heyday, but it's just, it's still being revived today. And that's really important, I think, to remember the artists behind this music as well because that kind of keeps them alive in a way can you dance it no <laughs> i can't dance it i can talk about it i can't dance it i am like this, this is the thing because i'm not musical at all i don't i have grade one piano that's it that's the extent of my musical ability so uh, <laughs> and it's funny because people think i'm like you know i must be i don't know a violin player or whatever but i'm not i'm just I just love this music for what it, that gift, that emotional gift that it gives. And it kind of, the more I find of these songs and they're just everywhere, you can find them online on YouTube and stuff like that. The more I find, the more I just fall in love with this. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful sound. You say that and it's true. I mean, my best friend in the world, he, uh, he became a roadie and a transport driver in the music industry because he has no coordination and can't sing. So it's not something to laugh at. If you can find a way to live your passion, I say you have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, this is definitely my, my little niche. Um, and I, I collect these records as well, these pre-war records, uh, which are immensely, but that are very brittle. So 
I've got one in my collection that's broken already, which I feel terrible about. But it's they they feel like treasures in a way because so many of them were destroyed and you have to keep them safe. Um, and actually, about the one that's broken, I have managed to fix it. I have managed to glue it back together, and it still works. So I'm not <laughs> I, I can't be trusted with these records. <laughs> I want to know where can we go and listen to this in Warsaw because. I'm for sure when you come back, I'm going to come up there and we're going to go and have a dance and a listen and basically yeah. a bit of a boogie. Let's absolutely do that. And um, so there are loads of uh, street bands that play this. They play the kind of street songs, the sort of really um, dark, murky songs that were written in, in the 20s and 30s. There are street bands playing for free um, in the old town in Warsaw. You can you can find them on every corner pretty much sometimes. Um, but then also in theatres. So when it's um, the Jewish festival in Warsaw, there are various shows going on. All over, um, all over Warsaw with this music, but yeah, I mean, certainly, it's still it's still alive or it's being revived. Um, but also, you know, any any time you can just look on on YouTube and find them, and they're still there. These beautiful songs. So yeah, it's 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 still there. It's still alive in a way, which is great. I know what I'm going to be doing when we finish this. I'm going to go <laughs> and listen to some tango. But Julia, seriously, <laughs> thank you so much for this. It was so interesting and we got to learn so much, not just about the tango, but about the people who created it, who wrote the songs, who sang the songs, who who basically made it for Poland. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really loved talking about this as ever. So um, no, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Amazing. So ladies and gentlemen, next week we have the William Fletcher, who's coming to join us a own pole position to talk about poles in the Napoleonic period, all because my dad asked Zach White a question he couldn't answer about the Napoleon period. So I thought we might as well learn something new. So thank you so much. And remember, people stay safe. And importantly, if you can stay at home, this is Nighthawk signing off. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,